This is Bite Sized Classics, which is basically a new show hosted by me. My name's Ree, uh, and I run Cobra Promotions, which is a hard rock and blues rock focused music blog. And I mostly focus on supporting independent bands and, and emerging acts, but I also have a huge love of history and music history. So like, com- I want to combine music and history and explore some bands that I love and get people to delve into the you know some great bands of the of the classic rock industry and just learn about some iconic music and and find new find new old music if that makes sense so um the article that I'm going to be reading from today is one that I've written recently and the title is 1969 the year of Creedence Clearwater Revival who are, I'd say, one of my favourite bands, definitely one of my favourite classic bands, but um, maybe a, a little bit underrated when I ask people about their tastes or bands that they like. CCR don't really come up. Um, I've met very few people who have said Creedence Clearwater Revival when I've asked them, oh, well, you know, about classic bands or who would they be interested in? So I think they're just a little bit underrated or... But it's kind of nice because when I do, when I am talking to people and they mention CCR, I just get so delighted. It's just so nice to hear and be able to chat with somebody about their music and stuff. So yeah, the title of this, so 1969, the year of Creedence Clearwater Revival. And 1969 was a significant year for world history in general. So highlighted here, I have the moon landing, the Vietnam War and the troubles in Northern Ireland. So just so much happening in the world and then so much happening in in the music industry as well. So uh, it was also an eventful year in music history, seeing the launch of the first Woodstock Festival, the release of albums Abbey Road and Led Zeppelin 1, or just Led Zeppelin, their debut album, and also the death of Brian Jones. But amongst new beginnings and shock endings, one band was in the middle of a huge year of output for their music. Officially presented as Creedence Clearwater Revival in 1968, the band had previously performed under the names The Blue Velvets and The Gollywogs until record label executive Saul Zayantz presented the opportunity to record a new album, subsequently prompting a rebrand. This change would mark the beginning of peak years of success for the four-piece until their demise only four short years later. So, officially, Creedence Clearwater Revival were born in 1968 they had played under previous names um that they didn't really like i don't think they were fond of the gollywogs at all but um ccr just was a whole new opportunity it was just a, like a fresh slate for them and it really ki- kick-started a new a new path for them new success and more just development success all that and um, so 1969 why was it a pivotal year for Creedence Clearwater Revival. They released three albums, and that that's the main thing, releasing three albums. Even at the time, plenty of bands released two albums, I think Led Zeppelin being one of them, but three albums, I don't think many bands did that. And especially now in the music industry, I don't know any artist that has released three albums this year anyway. So the, album, the three albums that they released in 1969 include almost all of their most biggest most successful hits so it was just a huge year for them as a band in terms of their output so their first album of the year was released in january so they they kicked off the year with an album 
and this was their sophomore album Bayou Country and it was recorded at RCA Studios in Los Angeles and the whole LP was written and produced by John Fogarty who was particularly interested in the nature and music of the southern states. So speaking about first track which is Born on the Bayou he explained I put it in the swamp where of course I had never lived it was late as I was writing. I, I was trying to be a pure writer, no guitar in hand, visualising and looking at the bare walls of my apartment. Tiny apartments have wonderful bare walls, especially when you can't afford to put anything on them. And then he later goes on to say, chasing down a hoodoo. A hoodoo is a magical, mystical, spiritual, non-defined apparition, like a ghost or a shadow. Not necessarily evil, but certainly otherworldly. I was getting some of that imagery from Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. So... Um, John had never really lived in the southern states or he was you know he wasn't born there or anything like that um, but he, he was very fascinated with southern culture and music and imagery and all that all the, all the big blues and roots artists that came before him he was very much influenced by them so um, Born on the Bayou was released as a b-side and the song was also a favourite of drummer Doug Clifford who actually preferred it over the latter immensely successful a-side which was Proud Mary which is probably the band's biggest or most well-known hit, or at least after like it was covered by Tina Turner, that would, you know they'd be most famously known for Pride Mary. Um, so Doug Clifford stated, I liked Born on the Bayou. To this day, it's still my favourite Creedence song. It's nasty, and I was disappointed when the single got flipped. So he believed it, Born on the Bayou should have been the A-side of that release. But I think he has stated... Um, in the last like how many years he has come to really love Pride Mary so like he's changed his mind he still loves Pride Mary he just preferred Born on the Bayou so the album um, Bayou Country reached number seven on Billboard's album chart and amongst the album there was also a cover of Little Richards' 1958 hit Good Golly Miss Molly and Fogarty's song Keep On Chuglin which he is now noted to perform as part of his live sets as a solo artist so John Fogarty currently is still gigging, still doing tours. I think he played in Dublin recently, so he's still very much in the music industry. And I don't know if people know, like in the news recently, whatever, he has been in a, not a scandal, that's not the word, but there, he's been trying to get the rights back of stuff he's written. And there was just a bit of a kind of kerfuffle about him getting rights and credits and, and things like that. So I think he's sorted that all out now and he has full rights to the music he wrote under CCR, I'm pretty sure. So he started he's starting to perform CCR songs as a solo artist now when he's doing his gigs. So moving on, uh, as Proud Mary is considered to be one of the band's best works and an influential 20th century release, Bayou Country truly was the start of bigger things for the Swamp Rock band. So a January release, like I said, it did it kicked off a, a, a very successful long year for, for CCR. And then in April, the band would release what would be their only UK number one single, Bad Moon Rising. And it would be included in the August released album, Green River, where the title track, Green River, would also peak at a top five position on the Billboard chart. So more success there. You know, they didn't really lose momentum from that sophomore album. Still, you know, still building their fan base and doing really, really well. Uh, and then the album featured another cover of a 50s release, this time a rendition of Nappy Brown's 1957 single, Nighttime is the Right Time, along with uh, originals, Loudy, 
Tombstone, Shadow and Sinister Purpose. So some really great tracks on that album as well. A few of their, their bigger hits. And said to be John Fogarty's favourite album under CCR, Green River was an important release for the band professionally and also personally. So he stated that musically, Green River was everything that I was about. I really enjoyed making it. I was really focused with the arrangements, the rehearsals, the necessities for each song. So I do think that album really does hold a special place in his heart. And it, I think it remains to be his favourite album to this day. So then... Only three months after Green River, uh, Queen's Clearwater Revival delivered their fourth studio album, uh, their third of the year, but their fourth studio album, Willie and the Poor Boys, which was released by Fantasy Records. And the LP included major hits, um, such as Down on the Corner and Fortunate Son, which was released one month after the death of Ho Chi Minh in the Vietnam War. So just to put it in context, this was all going on during the, the reign of, of Creedence Clearwater Revival. So Fortunate Son, Down on the Corner, two of their major hits. Uh, great songs, brilliant songs. Um, so the album reached number one in France. And it was well received. It's considered by a lot of journalists to be potentially the band's best record. However, as the year drew to a close, tensions within the band were brewing, with Doug Clifford later admitting to Jeb Wright that the release of three albums in one year amongst all of their touring commitments was overkill. So they were seriously tired, very overworked. Three albums in one year, no matter what decade, is is a lot. So he said in, in this interview with Jeb Wright, Fogarty told us that if we were ever off the charts, then we would be forgotten. To make it worse, it might sound funny, but we had double-sided hits, and that was kind of a curse, as we were burning through material twice as fast. If we'd spread it out, we would not have had to put out three albums in one year. So, I think he disagreed a bit with just the amount of material they were putting out. Just, again, absolute burnout for the, for the entire band. So despite their difficulties, uh, admits 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 Jesus Christ admits the success of nineteen sixty nine, CCR's winning streak did continue into nineteen seventy album Cosmos Factory, which includes fan favorites Looking Out My Back Door, Run Through the Jungle, Up Around the Bend, and Who Will Stop the Rain, plus covers of I Heard It Through the Grapevine and Before You Accuse Me. So. That 1970 album might be my favourite. It just has a lot of a lot of their biggest hits and um, I heard it through the grapevine. I love that the original of that song and I think they put like a nice kind of swamp rock twist on it as well. So there's just thought that's a really great album to dip into if you're looking for kind of one album to start with. So um, it, it was 1971 though that marked the beginning of the end for Creedence Clearwater Revival with the members struggling to arrange how to manage and credit input into future discography. So this eventually led to their split. There was just a lot of tensions between the band about creative control and Fogarty, I think, was the sole credited songwriter on everything and though the band members wanted more input and everything like that. So their final album, Mardi Gras, was released in 19, April 1972 and this was the final offer from a band strained to its limit. They were just not prepared to to keep going as a collective unit anymore and then six months later the band were officially no more so despite the bitter disappointing end 1969 was the year for Creedence Clearwater Revival and the quality of releases coming from their work rate is a feat unmatched by other iconic names in rock and blues 
So like I said at the start, I don't think many ba other bands released three albums in one year. It was just, yeah, they were just really on top of the game at that point. So yeah, a disappointing end. Uh, I'm delighted that Fogarty's still, still gigging, still doing loads. But it would have been nice if they had stayed stayed together longer, I suppose. I mean, maybe they would have split probably eventually. But um, like the likes of the Ro like Rolling Stones and ZZ Top, who are still fairly going strong. Um, it would have been great for Credence to still be. You know, I just love their music so much. And their sound is just different. There's just something different about their sound compared to everybody else. Um, I just love it so much. And... Yeah, when, when, if I'm ever talking to somebody and we're talking about music or classic and like if somebody was to mention Creedence Clearwater Revival, I would just, it'd be just fantastic because they're kind of, they're, they weren't underdogs at the time, like as, as I've explained that, you know, they, they were quite successful and they had a, a good run as they say, but uh, people never seem to mention their names in conversations and I just wish they were more unless you maybe say Proud Mary or like Fortunate Son which is in this movie in this movie people wouldn't go oh yeah like Creedence Clearwater Revival so I love them great swamp rock sound and um, great influences distinct voice riffs like I just think they're a really truly great band and it's a shame they didn't get to see more success for a longer period of time but um, anyway, all great things must come to an end, I guess. So I really enjoyed writing that article. That'll be up on the site. If it's not up now, it'll be up soon. So for the next episode, I'm going to be... I recently wrote an article about the animals. So more actually going back a few years to 1964, I'm starting to focus on bands from the British invasion. So the zombies and the Beatles and then like the Who's emerging and the Rolling Stones. So the the 60s, I just think, I think I might just stick with the 60s for a while because it was just so many great bands debuting. It was just such a fruitful time for the music industry. So I'm going to focus on the animals because again, they're, they're a band that not a lot of people I know would mention or they'd be my, probably my favourite band from the 60s after Creedence Clearwater Revival and probably my favourite band of the British Invasion. Uh, so I'm going to explain how their sound, the animals have a really distinct sound. If you know the animals, like you know Eric Burden's voice, you, you know House of the Rising Sun. They're just an incredible band with a, a, dis, a distinct sound. And amongst the British Invasion, I just think they offered something a little different to their competition. So um, I'm looking forward to reading that out. And then if anyone has any other suggestions of bands from the 60s or like early 70s, you can get in touch to my site or email so cobrapromotions.eu or cobrapromotions at gmail.com and I'd love to get some more inspiration about who to write about next or like will I stick with the British invasion will I look at the zombies will I look at the who uh, I'd be most interested in bands at their peak or like debuting bands or just kind of great couple of years in the music industry like different periods like the British invasion or like we'll say blues rock in like the southern states of the US like kind of niche areas so uh, definitely fire me a message I can't wait to like start listening to more classic bands and learning more and just kind of sharing the music like um anyway thank you for listening uh good luck